0: The FT.
1: Welcome back to Banking Weekly. I'm Patrick Jenkins. This week we'll be looking at the ructions at HSBC following the announcement last week that Chief Executive Michael Gagan, as well as Chairman Stephen Green, would be leaving the bank. After that, we'll turn our attention to Britain's Independent Banking Commission. How far can it go in reforming the sector? Mm-hmm we'll then hear from justin Baer in our new york office in stateside our new feature from the us and finally unicredit after the struggles in the boardroom there who will take over from alessandro profumo joining me in the studio today is miles johnson our investment correspondent hello so let's start off with HSBC. It trickled out rather slowly and maybe rather more quickly than HSBC would have liked. But by Friday, they'd come out and confirmed that um, Michael Gagan as chief executive would be leaving the bank as well as Stephen Green, the chairman. So we've got two new two new bosses there. Um, Stuart Gulliver coming in as chief executive as of the end of the year, alongside Douglas Flint as chairman. Um, Miles, you've been talking to investors uh, about this what's the feeling out there
2: well they're slightly shell-shocked in some ways i mean i think the the way this information came out um first sort of staggered and then in this sort of bi- rather large, um, sort of dramatic announcement. Um, I think, you know, there was a bit of confusion as to what was actually going on at the bank. But um, from the investors I've spoken to, they actually seem relatively happy with the outcome. So the individuals, they've got no
1: problem with. I think Douglas Flint, as finance director, has done a great job and he's probably very... Uh, comforting as a potential chairman
2: yes yes I think I think everyone seems to be pretty content with Flint he seems like a sort of safe pair of hands I think the question actually hangs over um, Stuart Gulliver Mm -hmm. Um, one leading institutional investor described to me uh, Mr Gulliver as being a sort of uh, unknown quantity at the moment his lack of retail banking experience is seen as potentially being a bit of a gamble on the part of the bank and So Mr. Gulliver's
1: been, I think, been at the bank for 30 years. He's the head of the investment bank at the moment. But I I guess the bank would point to his experience in certain overseas areas covering lots of different areas, not just core investment banking. So it'll be and since January, he's had these additional responsibilities for the whole of um, kind of universal banking across uh, Europe, Middle East and Asia. But as you say, investors are not necessarily comforted by nine months of experience uh, yes. to get
2: the top job. But then there is also, you know, uh, one investor made the argument to me that HSBC is such a large organization that the responsibility doesn't necessarily rest upon you know one individual, even if they are as key as the chief executive, and mm. that he will clearly have... Uh, huge sort of resources at his disposal and a very experienced team, which will be able to sort of guide him through any transition period. So I think there's a degree of um, sort of uncertainty amongst investors, but they are largely happy. I think they are certainly seem to be happier than if um, uh, Gagan had sort of got what he wanted. It, which was to go up to be, to be the chairman yeah. himself.
1: Um now, it does seem extraordinary. I mean, it chimes with really with what you're saying. But for, for any normal company or, or bank to lose a chairman, a chief executive, a finance director, all at the same time, you'd have thought that it would have huge ructions. But I think HSBC's share price fell something like 0.35% on – it was actually rose, sorry, 0.35% on Friday. Uh, but it was basically flat, um, which is extraordinary when you consider the – the level of disruption that potentially could be caused, but that, you know, chimes with your point that um, no one really thinks that a bank of this magnitude and, you know, super tanker like HSBC will really be disrupted by Uh, three individuals
2: yes yes I think that that's only um, what I'm hearing and uh, I mean you know investors have compared it to for example Barclays where they've said you know compared to the role of someone like Bob Diamond you know that his prominence and importance within Barclays is is, differs quite significantly to the roles in HSBC well I suppose he
1: built up an investment bank from mm. scratch and proved that he was a, a big player in the sense that he could make a real difference to the bottom line but yeah, well, we'll we'll, we'll certainly watch that story uh, closely going forward. It's it's going to be a few more months before well, the end of the year before the handovers actually happen. Stephen Green goes off to be trade minister in the UK government. Uh, Mr. Gagan goes off to uh, do we don't know what uh, outside the bank after 37 years. He said he was he didn't know what he wanted to do. He just wanted to be entrepreneurial. He said uh, on Friday. There we go. So we'll see mm-hmm. see what happens there. Um, Let's move on now to the Banking Commission. Um, now, on Friday also, it was a very busy day on Friday, we had uh, the Commission on Banking, which is the government-appointed commission headed by Sir John Vickers. It came back with its what it's called its issues paper after considering for the summer what it wanted to do uh, or how it wanted to go about its task of examining the um, competition on the high street in, in banking, but also the... Um, stability of the banking system in in general, it came back with this uh, issues paper w- in which it outlined really the the options um, open to it. Y- you've had a look, Miles, at the uh, at the report that which came out on Friday. What what do you think about you know, the terms of reference that is basically a- outlined there?
2: Well, it's interesting. You have these sort of two extremes i suppose of one would be complete inaction and leaving everything as it was and the other would be you know the full separation of um retail banking from investment banking activities in british banks and i think the interesting part about that is really if there is the political will to enact uh the that sort of large scale change if the banking commission actually decides that's that's that is the best course of action so you know we'll see i could see it being quite problematic
1: yeah potentially (laughs) i I guess that's right although the commission while it's independent um in name it does have the and, and, and indeed all five members are you know non-affiliated to the government in any way but it does have a secretariat which is uh draws its members from in part at least from the treasury so i'm sure word will get back to uh, be plugged in to yes. politicians of what direction it's going in um as it moves moves ahead i mean the other the other potential uh, conflict of interest really is around the uh what happens to the government owned banks so you know it, the government still has uh, 70% shareholding in RBS and and uh, 41% of Lloyd's um, both of these banks or the, the value of those shareholdings could be hit quite badly uh, potentially by an extreme banking commission um, decision um, So
2: you, UKFI folk might not be best pleased if they sort of no, demolish exactly. the value of RBS yeah, no so. quite so
1: you know RBS might have to split into two and Lloyd's might have to sell a chunk of its retail bank but um as you say i think the 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 kind of uh considerations there are so um delicate that it it feels like the way the wind is blowing is that when you know we were presented with this whole spectrum of things that could be done it feels like it's going to end up somewhere in the middle so maybe along the lines of for example on the universal bank side uh something like uh what the u.s has uh chosen to do in terms of the the um, Dodd-Frank legislation, mm. which limits proprietary trading, for example.
2: It's interesting, uh, obviously, that you know, the UK government have intimate sort of uh, interactions with RBS and Lloyds, but with Santander, how does that work? I mean, would they be able to sort of uh, just lay down the law to Santander in the same way they could? to? I think it's less France? of an issue
1: for Santander because the... I think... Um, Everyone believes really that the 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 focus on high street competition is really going to be an issue for Lloyds and probably Lloyd's alone, um, in mm. the sense that they have, you know, a thirty percent share of the current account market, for example. Um so it probably is to the benefit of the other players in the market, including Santander, which is, you know, admittedly um a fairly uh dominant presence, but it's only the number five in the market, and therefore, um, you know, if Lloyd's is told that it can't compete in the current account market anymore, then a bank like Santander would benefit. It's not really affected because it's not being a universal bank, just really a, a retail bank. largely. I anyway, uh, So it doesn't get hit by the other stuff. But um, no, I think it could be uh, potent you know, in principle, um, what the banking commission is looking at would affect um, any bank, regardless of ownership, because I suspect they would pass legislation necessary to enact it. So that's another interesting uh, issue to watch but I I I think it'll probably go off the radar now at least until um March next year or largely until March next year when we get the interim report back which is which is where the commission will narrow, narrow down its expectations of what its final recommendation should be to maybe you know two or three options. Um one thing to look out for in in the in the interim though is um that the commission's planning to stage a whole load of public debates question time style debates oh, at which the general public and, will have their yeah. chance to voice their opinions we should make sure we go along to those as well. yes sounds fun um let's move on now to our new regular feature stateside uh this week justin bear brings us the news from the banking sector in the us over to you justin
0: thanks very much patrick this week caps the end of another lackluster quarter for many financial services firms yet another sign that trading activity remains weak Many banks, who are still dependent heavily on their trading desks for revenue, had been counting on a pickup in market activity in September. That rally never materialized. Those fears were stoked again on Wednesday when Jeffries, an independent securities firm, reported on a call with analysts that uh, trading activity had been quote-unquote painfully slow during the period. Indeed, the lack of volume and volatility has prompted a number of analysts to slash their earnings forecasts for the big banks. Expect more to come once the quarter officially ends on September 30th. We'll find out soon enough how accurate those forecasts will be. Um, All of the big U.S. banks are slated to report results by uh, late October. It's also worth noting that the new Oliver Stone film, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, opened this month. The original movie captured the imaginations of a generation of would-be traders and bankers and added a veneer of glamour to the industry. It'll be fun to see how the uh, generation of Wall Street folks, now many of whom are veterans, view Stone's latest take on the industry and on the crisis that nearly destroyed it. But in some ways, their views cannot be as interesting as those of the young people toiling away in business school or in math class, maybe several years before we know if the sequel was as powerful of a recruiting tool as the original. Back to you, Patrick, in London.
1: So Miles, what do you think of the new the
2: new Wall Street movie? Well, I look forward to seeing it. I mean, I saw an article um today in the FT, he was talking about the influence Wall Street had had on um uh, attracting people into banking back mm. in the 80s, which I found slightly um, strange, actually, because having seen um, Wall Street, I can't really see how it would... What's attractive uh, about Michael it, Douglas? It, it, <laughs> well, exactly. I can't really see how it would um, really make, you know, youngsters want to go into that industry. But um, it's interesting. I mean, you know, the new the new Wall Street film, um, there was an article in The Economist which talked about how Oliver Stone had originally wanted to focus on nefarious hedge funds, sort of, you know, driving the world economy into collapse, but um, instead changed his focus to an investment bank, which, um, according to The Economist, has um, quite uh, a lot of similarities of a certain large um, US firm, which occasionally gets in trouble with regulators. So um, we'll see how they react to that. Indeed. Finally,
1: um, let's move on to talk about Unicredit. This is another bank like HSBC with a leadership problem, um, albeit HSBC's is resolved. Unicredit's isn't. Rachel Sanderson is on the line in Milan now. So, Rachel, what's the latest on the Unicredit saga?
3: What we're expecting now, Patrick, is that we're going to get, uh, with uh, every possibility, an announcement about the new management lineup on Thursday when Unicredit is holding a board meeting in Warsaw. This is, of course, a bank that is present in 22 countries, although it has an Italian base with a strong presence in uh, Eastern Europe and Central Europe. So what we're looking at at the moment, in my understanding, is there has been some discussions some sort of seesawing between the board members about who they're going to pick. There are two sides of the argument. One, um, some of the board members would like to appoint someone of international standing, and that person... That they want most of all seems to be Andrea Orsell, who is the executive chairman of Global Banking and Markets at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. And then on the other side, there are those who would prefer to appoint an internal candidate. And that's most likely to be one of the four managing directors that are currently within Unicredit.
1: And what about it's Dieter Rampel, the chairman, that's likely to have the final say on this, I guess. Is he uh, swinging one way or the other?
3: The sense that I get at the moment is that possibly Mr Rample is swinging towards an eternal candidate, the reason being, um, from sources I've spoken to, is that he is looking for uh, possibly um, wanting to, as it were, have someone who will follow the line of Alessandro Profumo, the chief executive who left very dramatically last Tuesday after an overwhelming vote of no confidence from the board.
1: Right. And, and what would that mean in terms of timescale? I, mean, I guess it would mean someone could take over far sooner rather than leaving things up in the air for uh, for the rest of the year.
3: No, I think that would imagine that would be entirely the case. You have an internal candidate. You have a board meeting on Thursday, where we are expecting quite possibly for the top management to new top management to be announced. Uh, and one would imagine that person could start immediately.
1: Is there any sense for what shareholders think of this?
3: Uh, what you have, I'll tell you that. But the. Um, the sort of main foreign shareholder beyond Libya, this is, uh, BlackRock has kept very quiet about this. I've been in touch with them, and they, they are refusing to comment on the situation. So are the Libyans keeping very quiet about this, who, of course, are uh, the largest shareholder between the Libyan central bank and the Libyan investment authority in Unicredit, with a stake of about 7.5 percent? I suppose, understandably, they are keeping particularly quiet about this, given that they their sh- increase of their shareholding in Unicredit was one of the ...reasons that uh, Alessandro Profumo ended up exiting the firm at such speed... ...because the board said that he had not kept them sufficiently informed... ...about the Libyans increasing their stake. So the position at the moment is that we haven't really got a clear picture... ...of what's going on amongst those shareholders. What we do know is that the foundations... Uh, the Italian banking foundations, uh, from my understanding are favoring the idea of a big international figure taking over at the bank, but as we said that still hasn 't been decided yet now
1: in the course, foundations call- are, the foundations are the um, organizations which control the balance of power really in unicredit they, they've they came their ownership came as a as a legacy of unicredit 's previous life as a kind of succession of uh, of savings banks around the country is that right
3: I don't know if they if they control the balance of power. What we've seen in the bank is that the the Italian banking foundations are um, powerful uh, figures and voices within the governance of UniCredit. Um, they do date from the very beginnings of the bank. Um, You have the which Unicredit has in its base, um, the Bank of Verona, the Bank of Sicily, the Bank of Rome, and the foundations that are directly related to these territories do still continue to have a say in the board. What we have seen with Alessandro Profumo is that he, in internationalizing the bank, on some level upset the foundations who felt that he was not paying sufficient attention to their needs and in particular to producing dividends for example and paying out dividends that those foundations wanted those funds in order to undertake projects within their territories of Italy. So they are certainly uh, a section of the shareholder base uh, that any new and the new chief executive will need to pay attention
1: to and just one final thought on you said the lead candidate there is andrea shell from uh bank of america Merrill lynch he's he's uh one of the the best known bankers in 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 europe certainly um he uh i think was also an advisor to UniCredit or has been historically um, what what uh, how strong is the desire to get him on board and, and why would that be
3: I think the situation is just to clarify that he is, as it were, in terms of if the bank chooses an international candidate rather than an internal candidate, he definitely seems to be the top choice. Um, the reason why the bank would want to get him on board, um, I was just speaking to someone involved in this a moment ago who is, is very much in favour of him. They said this would send out an excellent message to the market mm-hmm. uh, if this came to pass because it would be seen that you know, he 's a very strong, very highly regarded international figure. He knows Unicredit intimately, having worked alongside performer at the bank for I mean all of the fifty all of the last sort of fifteen years. Um, undertaken major deals for Capitalia, uh, the takeover of Capitalia by Unicredit. Uh, he also, of course, has an intimate knowledge of the investment banking business, uh, which is an area that some um, let's say members of the board of Unicredit feel is something that the new CEO will need to concentrate on yes, in order build to build it up
1: well we'll watch very closely um, over the next few days and, and particularly on Thursday when Rachel you think the, uh, the the decision could come on this thanks very much thank for you. joining us that's sadly all we have time for today all that's left for, for me to do is to thank Miles in the studio Rachel Milan, and Justin Bear in New York Banking Weekly was produced by Rob Minto until next week, goodbye For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.
3: Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach. And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus.